Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30, and it's being read from the Common English Bible. Look here. Today I've set before you life and what's good versus death and what's wrong. If you obey the God's commandments that I'm commanding you right now, by loving your God, by walking in their ways, and by keeping their commandments, their regulations and their case laws, then you will live and thrive. And your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen and so are misled, worshiping other gods and serving them, I'm telling you right now that you will definitely die. You will not prolong your life on the fertile land that you are crossing the Jordan River to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth as my witnesses against you right now. I have set life and death, blessing and curse before you. Now choose life so that you and your descendants will live by loving your God, by obeying their voice, and by clinging to them. That's how you will survive and live long on the fertile land God swore to give to your ancestors, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The word of God for the people of God. Right. Oh, yeah. And I didn't introduce Kelly. Uh, we have a guest preacher, Kelly Wyant, and maybe you can give a little bit more information about yourself before you do your sermon. <laughs> yes. Hi. Um, Bruce has asked me to, and many of you have already met me on here. I've been here at worship a couple times uh, to help lead the Christian Education Committee as we are discerning how we might do education for young people, actually through adults, really at uh, First Church, Palo Alto. So I've been working with several members of your congregation um, several times a month. It's been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed being with you in worship as well. I'm a pastor. I've been at a church in Harrisburg for 20 years. I'm now in between things. And so I'm really excited about the opportunity to be with you all and to work with Bruce as well. So thank you for that invitation. Our text from Deuteronomy is the conclusion of Moses' speech to the Israelites. They were in the wilderness, about to cross into the land promised by God to their ancestors. It was a moment of anticipation, of fear, confusion, and hope. Moses would not cross into the promised land with them because he was close to death. But they would go, they would become a great nation, the nation of Sarah and Abraham's dreams. But this is not, in fact, the speech that Moses gave to the Israelites on that momentous occasion. It was written centuries later and placed into the mouth of Moses as encouragement to people who had seen their king tortured their city burned, their temple destroyed and desecrated, 
and their priests slaughtered by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. The promised land had been lost. They were in exile. They had lost nationhood and the freedom to determine their own political future. They were demoralized and experiencing a communal spiritual crisis. The promises of God had seen a level of fulfillment in the land. There they had embodied a nation. They had found freedom from enemy rule and they had enjoyed such abundance from the land that they were the envy of many of their neighbors. Now all was lost. Jerusalem was in ruin and they were in exile. This raised an important theological question and spiritual question. Would they continue to be the people of Israel without the land that God had promised their ancestors? They were once again in the wilderness, dreaming of the promised land. But this time they were mourning its destruction. They were no longer sure who or whose they were. This beautiful speech that's placed in the mouth of their patriarch Moses offers them hope, hope of renewal and recovery from their greatest nightmare. They were reminded to whom they belonged and offered faith and love of God as an antidote to despair. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving, obeying, and holding fast to the Lord your God. Despair robs the human person of life. Despair dehumanizes, de-energizes, and zaps our ability to reach or to work or even imagine the possibilities for healing and rebirth. It turns us inward and leads to self-pity, to anxiety, to self-criticism, and to depression. The appeal to faith made in Deuteronomy and every Sunday at First Presbyterian Church Palo Alto is not about the religious enterprise. It's not about the church or about increasing membership or even the budget. It's about reclaiming our lives. The practice of faith is an invitation to be more fully human, more fully alive. Our text is a desperate plea to turn away from the false gods that lead to death and destruction. But if your hearts turn away and you refuse to listen and so are misled, worshiping other gods and serving them, I'm telling you right now, you will definitely die. This is not because God is, was going to smite ancient Israel. This is not about being smitten or smote by God. This is a deep truth of life. Bowing down to other lesser gods leads to devastation, to heartache, and death, and at the very least, the degradation of the human spirit. We all know this to be true. We have long worshiped the gods of ego, of wealth, prestige, comfort, nation, race, clan, and even our own ideas or beliefs or worldviews. Such gods have led us to a world where the poorest suffer the greatest for the misdeeds and greed of a few, where hundreds of thousands of species have gone or are going extinct, most of us without noticing or caring. 
where some refuse to wear masks or get vaccinated during a global pandemic because individual freedom is more important than the common good. Where life-saving vaccines are widely available in wealthy countries and the deadly virus devastates poorer nations. Where black and brown lives are seen as disposable and dangerous and are therefore incarcerated or murdered by the police who should protect them. Where corporations such as Amazon and their CEOs make billions of dollars, more than some nations, and launch themselves into space while people go hungry in our country. Where war leads to mass migration and refugees are turned away at borders and die in the back of semis in the shallow waters of the Rio Grande and two-year-old toddler bodies wash ashore along the Mediterranean. This is death, this is decay, this is despair at work. We know the power and the allure of despair, as did the Israelites in exile. They had lost their way of life and could not imagine better days. As a mother of a four-year-old, the climate crisis triggers my deepest despair. And if I am not careful, it robs me of joy, of hope, and the ability to imagine a meaningful future, not only for myself, but more importantly, for my child. Your deepest despair may be triggered like me by the destruction of our planet home, or maybe by the political climate or illness or rampant racism or unchecked white privilege, or the pain and grief of trauma of the past year and a half. Whatever it is, and maybe it's all of these together, Deuteronomy reminds us, as it reminded those in exile, that we must choose life and hope. By choosing faith and love of God and one another, we are choosing against all odds to imagine and envision a world for our children. We are choosing the common good over our own self-interest. We are choosing to face the world with compassion, empathy, and love. We are choosing to reject selfishness and greed by seeking to live a life defined by the love of God for all people and all creatures. We are daring to dream of a world where white supremacy is dismantled and racism no longer dehumanizes our children. I served as an associate pastor at a church in downtown Harrisburg for 20 years, as I said. So for 20 years, I had the privilege of working with the youth who found themselves at Market Square. We had a tiny youth program, but through the years, I was able to work with youth from a variety of backgrounds, races, sexualities, and gender expressions. I love working with youth because I believe that the work of the church is to help make meaning in our lives. And young people are searching for meaning for connections, for purpose, and the hope that we find by a life defined by God and by the love of God. I believe that faith is central in meaning making, in finding hope, and in living a life worth living in this world. Each time I saw a young person connect their faith to their passions and reflect on the world through a theological lens, I saw hope and possibility. I saw young people willing to fight oppressive systems and speak truth to power. I witnessed young people 
change their behaviors to protect the environment. I marveled as they even called the church to task. Our children and our grandchildren are inheriting a world no less broken than the one that we inherited. Of course, we have seen growth, change, and even a little healing. The fact that I am married to my wife, Kristen, that I'm an ordained pastor, and that together we are raising our beautiful child, Cora, that I gave birth to <laughs> is no small wonder. Changing opinions, hearts, laws, church polity, and science all had a hand in the goodness of my daily life. So I do not let myself forget that growth and openness and greater acceptance and love and the pursuit of scientific knowledge is part of the goodness of the human experience and in our rapidly changing society. As our society slowly opens in fits and starts and finds our way in a world that's forever changed by the pandemic, we are certainly aware of the gifts of science and the brilliant minds that brought us the vaccine and the importance of tending to and caring for one another. But of course, we are also keenly aware of the suffering in the world, as were the young people who I worked with so closely. They, like me, worried about their future on this beautiful blue and green marble. They will face many challenges in their lives. But I believe that the church is important because it is here that we teach the faith of our ancestors. It's here that we will tell the stories of the people wandering in the wilderness, lost except for their faith and a trust in the God that did not let them go. It is here that we are reminded that even in the face of devastation, God is present and therefore hope always abides. It is here that we learn that we are beloved and claimed by God. And that fact above all else defines our lives. We are God's beloved and nothing can rob us of this fundamental truth, not loss, nor suffering, nor death. The faith we claim and teach is the antidote to the world's idols and gods, and the pull of despair that robs us of life and our humanity. I cannot think of anything more important to teach our children and one another, for faith is where our hope lies. It's also what gives life meaning, clarity, purpose. A few months ago, I picked up a Lenten devotional by Gail Boss entitled Wild Hope, Stories of Lent from the Vanishing. Boss explores through the lens of faith, the lives of 25 magnificent and delicate creatures that are vanishing from our world. In her stories, the faith of those who seek to protect these critically endangered creatures speaks to hope, even in the face of despair. And when I, I mean, I've just told you that the thing I struggle with the most is the climate crisis. And yet I was so drawn to this book because it's entitled Wild Hope. And certainly if, as people of faith, we are trusting that there is hope and beauty as we are learning and growing and working to protect. 
The red knot is a tiny nine ounce bird that makes a yearly migration from pole to pole. It begins its flight in late February from the southernmost tip of South America, making its way to Brazil where it stops to feed. And then it flies to the Delaware Bay where the horseshoe crabs are just rowing back into the sea after breeding and laying their eggs. Because my family vacations on the Delaware Bay where these prehistoric horseshoe crabs live, I was particularly drawn to this story. She writes, with a full and new moons of May, the crabs swim ashore and spawn, leaving billions of green eggs the size of pinheads. Ravenous, emaciated, the birds pump their bills up and down in the sand like sewing machine needles. Nowhere else and in no other time is their table laid with these tiny, pure gems of energy. And the birds need the energy because they have to make a trip of 2,000 miles more to mate, to lay their eggs, and to defend their young. During this stop on the Delaware Bay, they must double their weight and increase their chest size in order to survive. She continues, on the month's last day, one bird rests in a woman's hand. She can feel its heart flutter within its too narrow breast. Like many of the knots her team has weighed, measured, and banded, she has not eaten anywhere near her egg quota. For years, fishermen took too many crabs from the bay. Many of them are actually milked in order to make parts of the vaccine we need. Plus, a roiling storm, which is happening because the waters are warming, confused the spawning schedule of the crabs. And then a storm surge stole part of the beach. All this loss means that it's loss for the little birds as well. 75% of the world's red knots have been lost in the woman's lifetime. But that's why she's come. She and her team have synchronized their lives with those of the red knot. All along the flyway, they count, they measure, they monitor. With tens of thousands of data points, they paint a picture of wonder and of loss for all of us. See this palm full of bird, the woman says. See, it's magnificent endurance and resilience, all of it evoked for exquisite timing. Imagine living exquisitely intertwined with creatures worlds away. Kneeling in the sand, the woman presses her cheek against the quiet bird's soft wings and breathes what she hopes is strength, but is surely love into its neck. And then she opens her hand. This is faith, sensing and clinging to hope and love in the face of loss and grief. It is synchronizing one's life to the life of a bird. It is finding meaning and calling to fight for justice for all of God's beloved creatures. It's loving the smallest of God's creatures, not for what they offer us, but for their own inherent worth. It's remembering that we live intertwined with creatures and with human beings worlds away and our survival depends on theirs. It's hoping against all odds that the red knot will survive because of our efforts to protect and defend. It's believing that God is at work in ways we cannot yet know. It's finding meaning, courage, love, strength, 
and the will to work for justice and mercy in a world that says that divisiveness, despair, and destruction, and death will reign. But that is not true. By living a life of faith, we are choosing life. We are choosing hope. We dare to proclaim that death does not and will not have the final word. So let us choose life. Let us choose life that is lived in relationship to God through Christ. Let us choose life that is lived in relationship to one another. So we believe. So let us live. Amen. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you for this life of faith. We thank you for calling us into communities of faith where we hear the stories of our ancestors who dreamed even in places of death and destruction that life could exist. And then we saw, oh God, and we see and read in the stories how you are present. And so we know that even in our places of darkness, you are there. That even when we feel overwhelmed, you are present. That against all odds, oh God, you are there to hold, to love, to support, to encourage, and to strengthen. And so let us live these lives of faith with courage. Let us find the strength that only you can give and send us into this world to be those who offer healing and light and joy to your people and your creatures. In your name we pray, amen.